0: This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to Episode 17. Many look upon flight instructor positions as a stepping stone towards another career goal while earning poverty-level wages. Other instructors are able to command six-figure incomes and pursue a fulfilling career, helping create knowledgeable and safe pilots. One of the misconceptions in the aviation industry is that flight instructors will always make less than minimum wage and will live in poverty until they obtain a better flying job. Today, I want to debunk this myth and help you become a successful flight instructor who has many students and is able to make a great living teaching. First, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Audible. It is important to keep motivated and informed when you are pursuing a career. One of the best ways to increase your knowledge and keep motivated is to listen to books during your downtime, such as commuting to work, running on the treadmill, or walking through the park. One of the great things about Audible is that the first book is free and there's no obligation to continue the subscription. You can cancel at any time and keep the book. Audible helps support this website and I encourage you to visit Audible at AviationCareersPodcast.com slash Audible. There are many great books you can listen to, with one of my favorites being 48 Days to the Work You Love by Dan Miller. I encourage you to discover your true potential and keep motivated by listening to audiobooks. Again, you can download your first audiobook for free by clicking on the Audible icon on my website or by going to AviationCareersPodcast.com slash Audible. Well, today I have with me a flight instructor who has been able to build a successful instructing business. As you know, I've always told my students that you should try to become an expert in one area of aviation to build your confidence, and this is one of the reasons I started the blog, Expertaviator.com. Becoming an expert in a specific area of instruction will help you build your client base and will also build great confidence which permeates through to your students. I'm excited to have with me an instructor who is truly the expert of the glass cockpit and has built a successful instructing business, Max Trescott. Max is author of two of the best handbooks on glass cockpit and GPS flying. He is also the 2008 National Flight Instructor of the Year. Today, he's going to help us discover what it takes to become a successful flight instructor and have a fulfilling aviation career. Welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast, Max. It's great to have you here.
1: Thanks, Carl. Great being here.
0: Well, Max, you know, it's uh, we talked about being a, a successful flight instructor and and, you know, you've really done a great job, and as I said, you know, 2008 National Flight Instructor of the Year. But, you know, the the most pressing question I have of everybody when they, they're into aviation is, how did you get involved in aviation?
1: <laughs> well, I just got very lucky. I, I had a good instructor, <laughs> and I think that's how we all start. Yeah, and
0: that's important, isn't it? It's uh, And that person will spur your passion. I know that for me that happened too. But uh, where where did you start flying?
1: Uh, I grew up in the, uh, the backwoods of uh, northern Pennsylvania, a little town called Wellsboro, and there's just a, one very small airport there with one flight instructor. He was the guy that ran the airport, and the airport, in fact, is now named for him, uh, Dick uh, Johnson. He was a, uh, a Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania flight instructor of the year, and gentleman who was, uh, oh, probably in his early 50s when I was 15, and uh, he was the one that uh, helped me become a pilot.
0: Now you didn't actually pursue a career in aviation per se right away you went into you went a different route you started when you were young flying but you uh, decided to not do that as uh, as your career you went into business correct
1: yeah, that's true. I, when I was getting my license, um, I knew that it was for fun. I didn't actually contemplate uh, you know, doing a career. I think I did have the momentary thought about, ooh, maybe uh, the Air Force. And then, of course, they check the eyes. And then you go, eh, well, maybe not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, um, I w- went to college and had uh, degrees in uh, psychology and electrical engineering. And um, thought briefly about getting in the broadcasting business. I'd worked at about five different uh, radio stations, and then uh, kind of thought, "Nah, might as well go straight." And, <laughs> God, and I say that just because you know, broadcasting is such a crazy, fun, you know, wild field. Um, but I ended up uh, working for Hewlett Packard for 25 years, uh, which, of course, at uh, one point, it's one of the uh, world's largest computer companies.
0: Yes, Hewlett Packard, who doesn't know that name. But you're right about broadcasting. It is crazy. That's actually where I got my start was in television. And and it is, uh, it's definitely varied, especially it's similar to the aviation career here. But now you went through these many years at Hewlett Packard. Did you fly?
1: I did. You know, I I think uh, the worst year I ever had. I only flew three hours, but for uh, many many years, I probably averaged between yeah, thirty to forty hours a year. So flying has always been a constant uh, part of my life, and it's just uh, kind of gone up or gone down depending upon uh, you know time and money and things like that. Uh, I didn't actually become a flight instructor until uh, two thousand one. So uh, for a while, when I was at HP. I would uh, teach on weekends in fact I was having so much fun I I would literally teach 8 hours on a Saturday and uh, you know maybe half of a Sunday and I and I did that for uh, for several years while I was still at HP and now you you said you
0: you didn't start till two thousand one, and now your your life revolves around being a flight instructor. That's a, a definitely a big change. And there's a lot of folks that I talk to, and especially people that listen to this podcast that want to change careers to being a flight instructor later in life. And they're like, "Gosh, do you think I could do it?" And I tell them, "Yes, you sure can." And one of the things I tell them they should do is just learn something, become an expert in something. Just like I said, the, the reason I started my website expert com is you know, i try to tell students become an expert in something that that'll really make you confident now you've become an expert and i think you're the the best in the field as far as glass cockpit is concerned and learning glass cockpit how has that helped you in your business as far as flight instructing
1: well it's helped me in, the, in a lot of different ways uh in f- for me, I of course live here in Silicon Valley. Everything is all constantly changing, and so it, it's kind of part of the DNA of, of living in this part of the world. And so, from an aviation standpoint, I was always kind of interested in what's new, what's on the cutting edge, you know, what's uh, what's changing. And of course, for the first uh, thirty years of my you know aviation activity, the answer was nothing. <laughs> you know, was, I mean, the airplanes that we flew in nineteen seventy substantially the same as the ones we flew in you know the nineteen nineties. Um, but then uh, that changed radically in two thousand. Four, well, 2003, if we look at the Cirrus, uh, when glass cockpits uh, first started coming into GA. And so I kind of zeroed in on that quickly as something that was extremely interesting to me and uh, just decided that, uh, you know, focus makes sense. Certainly in other parts of my uh, you know, previous life, tried to, you know, zero in and focus on, on something. And uh, that just seemed like a, a really fun, uh, you know, mix of my interest to uh, become an expert on glass.
0: And you sure have done that. As a matter of fact, I, we were talking offline here. This is one of the things that I'm trying to do is get to know the G1000. And when I went to the flight school here to get some instruction, they told me, Carl, pick up the G1000 uh, glass cockpit handbook. And I said, you mean Max Trescott?" And he says, yeah, that's the one. I said, oh, I read his other one, GPS and WAS, another great book that you have. But you really have come, become known as the person who knows g 1000 and knows a glass cockpit
1: you're the go-to guy now and and i fell into it very accidentally i have to, I have to tell you in terms of writing the books um i always had uh, you know was involved in you know various you know writing projects or you know some publishing projects when i was at uh, hp um but it was only when i went to the factory in 2005 to pick up a new uh, 206 with the owner and i went through the g1000 training and i thought holy cow this is really hard. Why, why is this so difficult? I'm a smart guy. Why am I not, not getting this? And I came back from the factory with uh, 20 pages of notes and I thought about it for a couple of weeks and I thought, you know what? The problem is there just no good training materials out there. And so I, I kind of wrote the book that I wish I'd had when I was uh, you know, learning the, the system. And uh, I guess that's really resonated well with people because most, most people say, wow, this looks like it's written by a pilot, not by uh, a tech writer.
0: And it sure is. It's very well written. Now one thing, let's back up here, you fell into it by accident. And a lot of us do, but the difference is you actually follow through and you were able to produce this this book and also these other classes. And that's one of the things I want to key in on. A lot of people think that you know they there's nothing out there I can't add to any of this business of flight instructing. You can. If you see something, anything that you feel that you're interested in, And that you want to pursue, go for it. Because there may not be somebody in your area. Say, for instance, uh, aerobatic training. I have a friend just bought a super decathlon, and it's in New Jersey. It's in an area where you can't find aerobatic instructing. He's doing great with it, and and that's the thing. You just have to move forward. You have to put your foot forward and 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 go for it. And the same thing like, like with this podcast, aviation careers podcast. Nobody else was out there doing it, and. We just jumped in and decided to go for it, and that's something that I think is really important: is to to become, like you said, an expert in this glass cockpit, this G one thousand. There's a lot of other people out there now that have become experts in it because of you, and actually use your book when they're teaching. That's pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, I've always felt that if you can you know find a need and fill it, that uh, you know there are probably going to be other folks that have uh, you know similar needs, and that uh, you know that's that's a good way to go in life.
0: Now, let's talk a little bit, of, uh, get away from the book here and in, in, in the uh, becoming an expert in something. How about just a, 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 just a good instructor, an all-around good instructor? I feel, in my personal opinion, that you can make a living as a flight instructor. As a matter of fact, I know quite a f- few folks that do. And if you look at the statistics, okay, if you go online, you actually drill down the statistics and you look at people that are actually working full-time as instructors. Now, of course, this includes the airlines, the average, excuse me, the median income is about ninety-one thousand dollars. And people, when I tell them that, especially new flight instructors, say, "You're crazy. That that can't be." And you know what? I it took me four years at the airlines to make the same amount of money I was making as an instructor. Now, Max, and you're, and we're not going to ask you, you know, what type of money you made, but as as far as your experience, what what have you seen as far as the the variance in salaries?
1: Well, I think variance is is absolutely the key right there. And, uh, you know, the person who said to you or the many people who probably said to you, I can't believe that that's, you know, that's not possible. That may be true depending upon, you know, where you're located in certain areas of the country and exactly uh, what you're doing. Uh, for example, I'm, I'm lucky to be in a. You know an area where people have um, you know higher than average uh, incomes and therefore you know there's more flight activity going on it's also a pretty densely populated area um, so all those factors uh you know <laughs> help help favor good flight instructor incomes if i were um in the middle of um you know a rural area and I was at the the county airport and uh, you know we had one or two airplanes for rent and you know very few customers yeah i I, I suspect it would be um almost impossible to to make you know a good living you know as a flight instructor in those circumstances so i, I think both both extremes exist and then somewhere in the middle um of course uh, you know folks may find that they're not able to uh you know, have as high an income as they want as a flight instructor, but they may be able to supplement it with other complementary activities. For example, I've often heard uh, say, and you probably could (laughs) tell me if that's correct, that a lot of new co-pilots feel like they almost have to have a, uh, you know, a second job when they start with the airlines. Um, So it it helps to have complementary things to fall back on, you know, for those uh, slow times. So, yeah, I think it's good to, to have another skill in addition to being a flight instructor.
0: I think that's that's correct, and I think there's something else that you key to Two things. Number one, you have to have something else. If it's uh, and it can include something in aviation. I, I right. know people that sell airplanes. I know people that detail airplanes, and they do there really you. well with that. Amazingly enough, yeah. uh, I had no idea that there's people out there that that do this cleaning. That come to the airport, and uh, you know, there's all these different jobs. It's amazing. But they, but they love the instructing, and I say, hey, listen, keep doing it. Uh, the one thing that you said about demographics, I think that's important. You have to know where you are and and what type of audience you have. I have a a great audience in an airport that's just twenty five miles away, but the airport that's closer to me, it's not. There's not quite the as big of a client base. Right. The and a good example, I think, is I. You know, I grew up around horses, and you know, for. People that wanted to put shoes on horses, it was a great area. But if mm-hmm. if you move to the center of New York City, you're probably going <laughs> to not going to make as much putting shoes on horses. You'd yeah, have to drive far to do that. Yeah, and, those,
1: those handsome cabs, they don't throw shoes too
0: often. <laughs> no, they sure don't. And, <laughs> and that's similar here. Is that there are so many airports that do very well, and there's something that appeals, you know, to people. Because of that airport. For instance, I fly off an island, and this island airport is just terrific. People want to come there just to look around. And mm-hmm. I get a lot of my customers that way because it's such a serene and, and beautiful place. Right. And, and that's something that I think people should do. Now, as far as, as incomes are concerned, let's let's move back to that. Because I, I really think that people don't understand that in the beginning, they compare all their salaries to somebody who's just starting out. And you're not going to make much money starting out. So when you're a new instructor, it's hard to really sell yourself and, and, and actually to command the salaries of, say, somebody who has a lot of experience. You know, I have most of my thousands of hours of flying in the system IFR, so normally people hire me to actually teach them instrument flying and that's something that i i actually want to go do commercial ratings and lazy eights eights on pylon shondells but you don't want to have to go where the money is too and that's something i think that you keyed on in on is that you really have to know your market and you have to actually go towards those jobs that that will make you enough money so you can make a living and survive on the flight instructor it's interesting you also what you said in the beginning people working at the airlines usually have other jobs and and that is so true I mean, most people have uh, extra jobs, or uh, what they do is try to pick up as many hours as they can flying. And I think that's the same, same in flight instructing too. But now, now that we've we've talked about some of the challenges, how how does someone go about building their business? You know, I have a few ideas. For instance, I'll throw one out there. The way I build my business is I wear a T-shirt. All the time, something to do with aviation, and I keep cards in my pocket. And someone will say, hey, do you do you fly airplanes? Are you into airplanes? And I'll say, sure I am. Here's my card. Let's get together and talk about airplanes. What type of suggestions do you have, Max?
1: Yeah, by the way, I had a funny example of that happened uh, just uh, a month or so ago. I stopped in a gas station on the way home from the uh, the airport, and I was wearing a, a Cirrus shirt. Guy walks up to me and starts asking me about where the you know the nearest airport is and how to get there. And turns out he was from France and he wanted to, <laughs> to rent a Cirrus and do a uh, you know just a bay tour, kind of fly around and you know check out the area. So that was that was one of the most uh, you know interesting uh, connections that occurred. Um, I. Th- Think uh, that if I were to write a book on how to do that, I, I wouldn't do it because that book has already been written, and it's called the the Savvy Flight Instructor. I believe is the title. By uh, Greg Brown. Greg Brown was the uh, 2000 National Flight Instructor of the Year, and he's also a uh, contributor to um, Flight Training Magazine, which AOPA uh, produces. And basically, he looks at flight instructing from a, a marketing standpoint, and he talks about uh, you know, who your target customers are, how you reach them, what type of uh, you know, activities you should engage in to uh, to try and reach them. And I'll just throw out a, a couple things that uh, probably are in the book, but certainly are the top of my mind when, when I think about this certainly having a good word of mouth is probably one of the best ways to get to, you know new uh, new clients and by that i mean your current customers are your best sales for you, they are the ones who will refer you to uh, to other people who are interested in, in learning to fly, and so you really need to treat those people extremely well and you don 't have to and, and you don 't want to be shy about occasionally asking them uh, for referrals. you know just send them a note every once in a while hey how 's it going by the way you know i 'm looking for uh, new clients if you know of anybody, let me know and I, and I think that can be an extremely uh, productive uh, avenue and The other avenue that I see working very well, at least for people in this area, and I imagine it works well in other parts of the country as well. It's just having a website that talks about uh, you know, what you do, and uh, you might even promote it through uh, you know, ads in the Google or Facebook or things like that. So having an online presence, I think, is just a, you know, a key complementary activity to, to good word of mouth.
0: I think that's a great idea. I, mean, it's, uh, I, I find that most of my uh, students come from people that
1: have referred me, uh, for, and they've been terrific clients. Yeah, people want to help, so all you need to do really is just kind of ask your current clients to uh, you know, help you out and find some new ones. Now, you know, uh, Max, let's let's talk a little bit about the
0: some advice you might have for people that are finishing a career, changing careers, and just want to flight and start. For instance, I, I assume that you you retired from what you did, and and we have many listeners that are very interested in doing making that transition. What were some of the challenges to doing that, and what advice can you give?
1: Boy, um, I, I guess my advice would be to uh, you know start start the flight instructing before you leave your other job, um, and that's certainly what I did. I was I was doing it mainly for fun. I I didn't actually look at it as a a second career. I I already had plans for uh, another second career after HP, um, and I actually after I left HP uh, did that for all of a couple of months, and then decided, wow, I hate this, <laughs> maybe. Maybe I'll just flight instruct for a while until I figure out what you know what next. And of course, I'd already been flight instructing for several years, already had a you know a, a good weekend business, and so it was easy to grow it uh, from there. So I, th- I think um, if you are lucky enough to be able to do those things in parallel, that is, uh, develop your your new. Uh, you know, flight instruction business while you're still getting some income from your old business, that's a a great way to uh, to kind of bridge the the financial gap there. If you're not lucky enough to do that, you may have some lean uh, first few months as you uh, you know try and uh, build business from uh, you know from scratch from from start. Um, but you know it's like anything else, you know throw <laughs> throw yourself in at it and uh, you know work hard and uh, you generally can be successful. But again, that goes back to the caveat, which is you might have to move <laughs> you be able to do this in any you know random town in america that's
0: great advice and you know i think that that's key doing it part time cuz i think another thing is i people don't really understand like you said the demographics but also the operation what happens on a day when it rains what do you do? <laughs> you know, you, you you can't go fly a lot of times unless it's an instrument student. and Even then, it could be thunderstorms. Well, if you have a flight school that has a simulator, or you have a simulator, or you have ground school and you have things already set up, then maybe you'll make some money. But you have to make sure that you're set. You're ready to go. You have plan B. And that's
1: just in general with aviation. You always have to have plan B. Russian pilots, you know, flying from point A to, to point B, you know, you might not make it, so you better have a plan B.
0: That's for sure. Well, you know, you know Max, thanks for, for all this information you've given us. Is there any other advice you might want to give somebody before we go into our recommendations as far as uh, getting into the career of, of flight instructor and possibly airlines? I'm sure you've, you've taught a few people that went to the airlines
1: yeah i have I, I think uh, probably the biggest piece of advice I would offer is to uh, you know follow what you love in other words if you 're looking at flight instructing as one of those things that you have to do to build hours to to get to your airline career, maybe you really shouldn 't be a flight instructor um, because there are probably other ways that you can you know build those same hours. Um, so I wouldn't look at, um, you know, I, again, I would go back to the original advice, which is, you know, do do what you love. Uh, and, and I will tell you that uh, flight instructing is far more enjoyable, satisfying, and uh, just pure fun than, than I imagined. Um, I, I used to think uh, when I was flying around on my own. That uh, you know, flying was fun for its own sake. Just me in the airplane, you know, put, put putting around. And then I found, oh, it's even more fun when you bring friends along. Guess what? It's even a lot more fun when you've got people in the in the left seat that uh, you're you're helping uh, jointly to uh, to achieve their their goal and their success. So for me, um, I find it uh, almost as satisfying. Uh, when someone solos, as as they probably you know feel it is when they solo, because it's a it's a joint uh, it's a joint venture, extremely satisfying. So anyway, do what you love.
0: That's great advice. I think that's for everybody. Do what you love. A lot of people are considering aviation careers, and this may not be for them. But whatever it is, do what you love. I think that that was terrific advice, Max. Now, Max, moving on to our recommendations, there was a, a book that I wanted to recommend to everybody to read, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> It's called it's called uh, GPS and Wasp, uh, excuse me, GPS and Wasp Instrument Flying Handbook. It was written by you, Max, and and one of the reasons I, I'm telling people about this is this is what happened. I went to the airlines and I really missed instructing, but when I came back from the airlines, instead of having those round dials, all these airplanes had all this equipment in there called GPS, and, and I said, oh my gosh, I, I really don't know how to use this, and, and what is this WASP, because we don't use that at the airline, so I knew, you know, I understood FMS and GPS somewhat, but but this helped me tremendously to actually teach my students how to use GPS, and gave me some great ideas for lessons, and this, now, this book, GPS and WASP, Instrument Flying Handbook. How did you come up with this idea, and uh, and w- tell us a little bit about it? You know, give us some
1: details on on what they can find in this book. Sure. Yeah. the The premise in the back of my mind was probably twofold. One was that uh, most of the instrument books out there are a mile wide wide on instrument topics, but only an inch deep on uh, you know GPS uh, topics. And so I wanted to do something that uh, was quite the opposite. Something that really uh, went in depth in GPS because I think that's a very poorly understood uh, you know, part of uh, instrument flying. And the second thing was I observed that uh, every instrument text talks about stuff that you don't find in glass cockpit aircraft, like ADF receivers, for example. Um, I have <laughs> I have flown in probably hundreds of glass aircraft. Only one had an ADF receiver, and that was because the gentleman was from Europe and they're required to have them uh, in <laughs> So um, you just don't find them. So I decided to go ahead and write a book that was uh, you know, geared for instrument flying in modern glass cockpit aircraft. And modern glass, uh, it took a fairly broad definition. By that, I really mean you know, anything that's got a, a modern uh, moving map GPS in it. So if you're flying with just a garmin 430, then you know this book is for you. If you're flying with a garmin 530. if you're flying with a full-blown glass cockpit an in the in the cirrus or a G1000 in any of uh, probably 10 or 12 you know different uh, aircraft, um, this is really designed for those people.
0: Now, the other book that you've written, it's called The G-1000 Glass Cockpit Handbook with Wasp. Now, why would they want to pick up that book? Because I I just picked up that book, and and I was wondering, what am I going to find in there that I'm not going to find the other one?
1: Other, yeah, two very different uh, books. The uh, you know, the G one thousand book is is really meant for anybody who's flying the G one thousand, and instrument flying is just one out of uh, sixteen chapters uh, in that particular book. So it uh, it gives you the basics for instrument flying, but it doesn't talk about all the, the many other things that you really ought to know about uh, flying glass cockpit aircraft. I'm uh, preparing to uh, give a presentation at AOPA Summit, and it's uh, tips on flying glass cockpit aircraft, and it's going to be everything for from you know, beginners who are just starting to transition to get into uh, you know, glass, they've flown round gauge airplanes before, to uh, experienced people who have uh, you know, flown glass for a while but just aren't familiar with all the nuances. So the, you know, my G1000 glass cockpit handbook is for everybody who's flying glass and the, uh, you know, the, the GPS and WAS instrument flying handbook is for people who really truly want to understand you know, IFR well with, uh, with modern GPS equipment. And you
0: know, I, I really I, I like the book so far. I'm up to chapter five, and I think it's it's really well written. I like all the different pictures that are in there, and I I like the fact that you take every every topic and you break it down, and you can you actually turn each each topic into a small lesson and that's something i'm going to do with my students i'm going to say hey listen you need to buy this book when i start teaching in the in the g1000 cockpit because it it is terrific compared to the the manual oh my gosh the manual i mean there's a lot in the manual but uh, this this is just this is a great way to actually learn and uh, the way you can find that, by the way, if anybody wants to purchase either one of these books, I'd, I'd recommend you come to aviationcareerspodcast.com and take a look. I'll have links on there to amazon.com. Of course, if you purchase it through there, then uh, it does help support this podcast, and I'd really appreciate that. But uh, what are ways that people can get in touch
1: with you, Max? Where can they find you on the internet? Oh, I'm I'm easy to find. Um, I have a good a good Google name, which means there's nobody else in the world with my, my <laughs> name. <laughs> but it's good old Max M A X, and the last name is Trescott T R E S C O T T, just like uh, Prescott, Arizona. But it starts with a T. And uh, if you put in MaxTrescott.com dot com, or just put in Max Trescott uh, in any Google search, you'll find find me easily. Well, Max, I really appreciate
0: your coming here today and giving people information about flight instructing and and building their business as a flight instructor. You sure have done a great job and and you know being able to be named the national flight instructor of the year that that's quite an accomplishment and uh, congratulate you on that uh, even though it's a few years later but but one thing that's good is that you're not you're not sitting back and relaxing you're moving forward and you're continuing to teach and continuing to to make an impact on the aviation world and we, we really appreciate that and, and appreciate having you here.
1: Well, thanks, Carl. And, and I think that's, you know, a good, good thing to think about for everybody out there, which is, you know, whatever you do, just make a contribution, you know, be out there uh, contributing and, uh, and having fun. So thank you, Carl. I enjoyed uh, joining you for the podcast. Thanks a lot, Max. And of course, if
0: people have questions for Max, they can also go to com slash contact and I'll forward those over to Max. One of the wonderful things about working for the airlines is that I get to travel the world for free. As a pilot, I can sit in the extra seat in the flight deck called the jump seat. It is normally a seat that is stowed and is only folded out when necessary. It's used for observing pilots during line checks, but it's also one of the ways we get home when the rest of the plane is full. While sitting in the jump seat, it is an unwritten rule that our conversations and actions are private. Therefore, what we say in the flight deck stays in the flight deck. This rule gave me an idea. Since this podcast is about aviation careers, we give advice on helping people achieve their aviation career goals. I've decided uh, to add a new segment to the show called Comments from the Jump Seat. Comments from the Jump Seat is your opportunity to share anonymously with others your experience in the career of aviation. I'm very aware of the various media policies at most companies and understand the importance of your privacy. With that said, I want to ask you a favor. If you're a pilot, mechanic, air traffic controller, manager, or any other person who's involved in the aviation field, please consider sharing with me and my listeners what it's like to work in your job. We want to know the good and bad, so please share this with us. All of your comments will be shared anonymously and will help the listeners understand what it's really like to work in your aviation job. Please send your comments to carl at com. If you send a question... I will not use your name, nor will I use any information that might identify who you work for. Of course, if you'd like to be on the show someday, I would more than welcome your sharing your career experience with us. Since I started producing Aviation Careers Podcast, I've asked the people I'm in contact with to share with me some advice and relate to me what they would say to someone who's looking to work in the aviation field or who is trying to advance their career. I've been getting some really interesting comments. So my first comments from the jump seat actually comes from the jump seat. I was sitting in the cockpit during my commute home and asked the pilots, would they recommend an airline pilot career? Both answered with a resounding yes. Then I asked for a quick overview of how they got to where they are today. Both had very interesting stories about their journey to the flight deck of an airliner. The captain had known what he wanted to do from a young age and now finds himself in his early 40s as a captain with a major airline. He also was very cognizant of how lucky he is to have chosen a career at a very young age. Just think, he will be making money as an airline captain for many decades to come. The first officer had another career working in an office, but did not like being inside all day. This was a great career change for him. He also likes his job. So when I asked the question, if you'd recommend this job to others, they both said yes, but had some cautions. If you want to be home every night, especially while you're working your way up the seniority list, this may not be the job for you. Some other challenges some might have are the fact that you're away for many days at a time and can't help out around the house. This is especially true if you have a family. With that said, the wonderful thing about flying for the airlines is that when you walk off the plane, your job is done. No calls from the office. When you're done, your work is done. And even though you're gone for days, you're also home for many days and have all the time at home to concentrate on your family or other interests. The other advice the captain gave us was this is not dozing for dollars, the job everyone thinks it will be. Dozing for dollars is a reference to how we as airline pilots get paid lots of money for traveling the world while doing little work and is so boring that we find ourselves dozing off. This, of course, is far from the truth. The captain said it is important to know it is your responsibility to make every flight safe and there is much more to think about than simply pushing the autopilot button, sitting back and relaxing. A great point from the captain. The captain further stated that he hears all the negative comments that airline pilots many times complain amongst themselves, but you must take these complaints in context. If you asked most of them if they would quit their job and do something else, Most of them would say no, and some would say, what are you, crazy? Then I'd have to work for a living. (laughs) Furthermore, he said it's really tough for us to truly complain to the public about our job because they normally can't relate to the challenges of the job, especially when they find out you're making $160 an hour and have 15 days off a month. One last thing both of them said, which I think is the most important comment. If flying for the airlines is something you want to do, and you can deal with all the impacts on your personal life, then you should give it a try and don't wait. This job is all about seniority and the amount of money you make in an airline is dependent on the age you get hired because the pay is based wholly on the number of years you have worked for a specific airline. I want to thank both the captain and the first officer of this flight for being frank and sharing their experiences with us. If you are listening, thanks from from myself and from my listeners for the great advice. And this is the first of a series of comments from the flight deck. I hope you enjoyed it. Well, thanks for listening to episode 17 of Aviation Careers podcast. I really enjoyed bringing this episode to you and talking to Max Trescott about becoming a successful flight instructor. It's also interesting to hear from those folks that are actually flying in the airlines and hear some really good comments about what it's like to be a pilot in the airlines. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope you consider Maybe helping contribute to it by uh, shopping at Amazon.com. You probably already shop there now. The best way you can do that is go to AviationCareersPodcast.com/Amazon or click on the Amazon link on my website at AviationCareersPodcast. All the proceeds go to helping this podcast and helping me bring this podcast to you. One of the best ways to get in touch with me is at AviationCareersPodcast.com/contact or click on the contact button. You can also leave a comment uh, or suggestion, or questions at 347-MY-WINGS. That's 347-MY-WINGS or three four seven six nine nine four six four seven. You can also find me on Twitter at Flying Careers and on Facebook at AviationCareersPodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I can't wait to talk to you in the next episode. Safe flying.